Welcome to Peace by Believing with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. On today's program, John discusses the subject of moral purity from the book of Proverbs in his message, Pursuing Purity. If you have your Bible, if you'd open it, please, to the book of Proverbs, I want to show you two verses to begin with this morning. First of all, go to chapter number five, because in Proverbs chapter five and in verse number 21, we see a very interesting verse, and it says, for the ways of man or the ways of a woman, the ways of a person are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his steps. He observes, he pays attention to how we're living our lives. And then go to chapter number 15. Just turn to the right a few pages. Proverbs chapter 15. And in verse number three, anytime I read through my Proverbs in a month, when I come to day 15, this verse always speaks to me. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. And so God is able to look down from heaven and to look at all of us, and He knows whether or not we're pure or whether we're maybe not so pure. So I thought, as I was just finishing this, I thought it sure would be good if I had a definition of purity. Now, this is one of those topics I think we all know what it is, but nonetheless, if we could just have a sentence that kind of describes what do we mean by purity, it might be helpful. So I came up with this, and I think this pretty much says it. Purity is a condition that we're in when our minds and our thoughts are godly, when our heart is clean, and when our actions honor the Lord. Now, I want to say that again because I think that really encompasses what purity is. Purity is a condition. In other words, every one of us here today, we're either in the condition of living a pure life, we're, we're like that, we're healthy, or we're living an immoral life, an impure life. You're bound to be in one of those categories. Well, what is purity? It is the condition we're in when our thoughts are godly, when our heart is clean, and when our actions are honor the Lord. That really is what purity is all about. And if you think about it, there are several benefits to living a pure life. And let me say at the beginning of this sermon, something that I think will be a repeated theme as we go through. None of us, no matter how much you love God or how much we love God, no matter how long we've been saved, there's not a one of us who is perfect and who is always pure in our thoughts and in our heart and in our behavior. In fact, John Calvin one of the leaders of the Protestant Reformation, along with Martin Luther, he had one of the great quotes in all of church history. Here's what he said, in every saint, there is something reprehensible. Now think about that. In the best among us, whoever the most godly person is in this room today, however that might be determined, even in that person's mind, in their heart, and sometimes in their actions, there is something reprehensible. There's something that is not good. And so as I'm talking today about purity, I want to get that out there at the beginning to say that purity is something that we pursue. Purity is something that we should strive for, but none of us has, is, or, or will always be perfect in our thoughts or in our heart and our actions. That said, it is something we should pursue to live a life before God that is holy. Now, there are several benefits of a pure life, and I just want to mention some of these to you. First of all, when you're living a pure life, you're pursuing purity. You're not perfect, but you're pursuing a pure life. You're going to have a clear conscience. 
You're going to be able to sleep well at night because you just you know that there's no sin between you and God. Another benefit of purity is you're going to have an open line of communication between you and God. You know, sometimes a person has a blockage in one of their arteries. The blood's not flowing properly. They go to the hospital. They have surgery, open heart bypass. They put a stent in there. What are they doing? They're opening up that artery so the blood can flow. The blood flows. The person's healthy again. Sometimes spiritually, we have a blockage sin somehow in our life, and it's blocking the communication that we have with God. Sometimes a person says, well, you know, I just haven't heard God say anything to me in a long time. Or sometimes a person may say, I even come to church, but I just don't get much out of it. I just, I don't really feel the presence of God. Well, could it be that the reason for that is there's sin in your life, and that sin is blocking the flow of God's Spirit going back and forth between you and Him and having that communication. And then a third benefit of purity is that we're able to see God in our circumstances. Did you know that if you're living a pure life, a holy life, a godly life, that when things happen in your life, even bad, hard, difficult, unfair things, somehow you're going to be able to see the hand of God in that situation. Jesus said this, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's say that together. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. How do we see God? I've never seen God's face or seen God's body. What does it mean? No, that we'll, we'll see that in heaven. But on earth, we see God in the circumstances of our lives. Now, if we're not living a pure life, if we're living an immoral life, just the opposite of those things. We'll have a guilty conscience. There's nothing worse than that. We'll have blocked communication between us and God. Psalm 66 in verse 18, the psalmist says, if I have sin in my heart, God won't even hear me when I pray. And so there's no communication between us and God. Something is between us. And then if we're not pursuing purity, when things happen, we're not going to be able to see God in the situation. And so it is very important that we seek to live a pure life. Now, as I think about examples of people in the Bible, People even who loved God, who tripped up and messed up, and they, they crossed the line in this area of purity, certainly I think of King David. We know that David was the father of Solomon. Solomon wrote most of these Proverbs, and David was a man who loved God with all of his heart. In fact, the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. David probably loved God more than anybody else in the Bible, at least as much, because that description is not given of anybody else. And yet we know that on one occasion, David did the unthinkable. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. And theologians tell us, based on the timing of the birth that came from that relationship, that it was probably about a year before David repented of that sin and got right before God. And so for a year, he's going along, not confessing that, not right with God. What did he have? A guilty conscience, lines of communication blocked. Spiritually, he was blind. David lost three things. You can read Psalm 51, where he confessed his sin. You can read Psalm 32, how happy he was after he was forgiven of his sin. And you see that as a result of that sin of adultery, what did David lose? He lost his peace. He lost his joy. And he lost his enthusiasm for life. You see, that's what sin does. David said, God, my strength my vitality was turned into the drought of summer. My bones ate. He lost everything that was meaningful to him, peace, joy, and enthusiasm for life because sin had taken a toll on David. Now, think about this. David lived in Old Testament times. And so even though he was a believer and he had God in his life, 
David did not have the Holy Spirit living in him like we have living in us today. In Old Testament times, the Spirit of God did not live in people. The Spirit of God would come on people at certain times for certain specific reasons to empower them to do certain things. And then after they did that, the Spirit would lift off until they needed that power again. That's why David prayed in the Psalm, Oh God, don't take your Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. He didn't have the Holy Spirit living in him like we have living in us, and look how miserable he was. Think about this. If you and I are involved in sexual immorality, what is it going to do? Well, if you think David was miserable with the Holy Spirit on him, how miserable do you think we're going to be with the Holy Spirit in us? Someone has well said sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will cost you more than you want to pay and it will keep you longer than you want to stay. There's nothing good about sin, and yet the devil knows how to dangle the temptation before us and try to entice us and then lead us down the wrong road. Now, turn to the New Testament. I want to show you a passage in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter number 6. I want you to find this because I could just read it or reference it, but I want you to see this in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians, chapter number 6, beginning in verse number 18. Now, the Apostle Paul is talking about purity. We read about it in Proverbs. We read about it in Paul's letters. And he has some very clear language. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Notice how he starts it. Flee sexual immorality. Say that with me. Flee sexual immorality. Say it like you believe it. Flee sexual immorality. He didn't say flirt with it. He didn't say see how close to the edge of the cliff you can get without falling over. No. He said flee from it. Every sin, now this is interesting, that a man does or a woman does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. In other words, if you tell a lie, that's bad, that's wrong, that's sin, but that sin took place outside of your body. If you steal something, you should never have done that. But that was outside, you used your body, but nonetheless it was outside of your body. But he says, he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And so Paul is saying that as Christians, our body is the temple of God. And so if we take our bodies that are supposed to be holy and clean and pure and and right before God, and we engage these physical bodies in acts of sexual immorality, that we are defiling the temple of God, that we are grieving the Spirit of God. And what I'm saying is, and what Scripture teaches is, when we do that, if we do that, the Spirit of God, once grieved, We'll begin to convict us of our sins, and we'll feel guilty and shameful in the lines of communication, or at least temporarily. We haven't lost our salvation, but those lines of communication are broken. Now, as we develop this idea of purity, I want at this point to give a word of warning, and I also want to give a word of encouragement. First of all, the word of warning. This is important for every one of us. Never assume that you are too good of a Christian to commit sexual immorality. I think sometimes the devil sets us up and he has us thinking, well, now, wait a second, adultery, fornication, sexual immorality, that's not something that I would ever do. That's something that somebody else would commit. Well, 
The Bible says, in fact, you're in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Turn a few pages to the right. I want you to see this verse too. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that attitude of saying, I would never commit that sin. There's no way that I would ever do that one. Well, look down in verse number 12. Paul said, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And so he says, if you think that you're too spiritual, you love God too much, you're too strong to ever give in to this sin, you may be the next victim. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. All of us need to have our antennas up. All of us need to know that were it not for the grace of God, there's no sin that we're incapable of committing, that we're dependent on Him day by day and moment by moment to try to keep us pure and holy and away from these types of sin. But now the word of encouragement, because I think this is important. And I really want to make this clear today in this message. If you have committed sexual immorality last night, last week, Five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you said, John, I did something that I never should have done. Listen to me. Never assume that just because you messed up in the past that it is too late for you to live a pure life from this moment forward. I can remember in ni- between 1995 and 2002, I was a student minister here. And this is appropriate because I have a lot of students here today. And not every year, but maybe every two or three years, we would have a special emphasis with our students that we called True Love Waits. Most of you are familiar with that. It was a, it was a challenge to take 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old students and say, we're asking you this weekend to make a commitment that from now until you get married, that you're going to be morally and sexually pure. And back in the 90s, especially, True Love Waits was a big deal in the nation. And it seemed like every time we would have one of those emphases that there would be a student come up to me, normally a girl, maybe 16, 17 years old, tears in her eyes, and she would say something like this. She would say, John, it's too late for me. Here you have, we have this weekend, you're encouraging everybody to make a commitment to be sexually and morally pure, and I've already messed up. I've already blown it. I've already done, I've already done something I shouldn't have done, and so I can't in good conscience make a commitment to be pure because I'm already I'm impure. I've already messed up, and here was the attitude that I always noticed in those kids' minds, and in, here's what they were thinking. They were thinking this, I've messed up. What's the point? And that's the devil's lie right there. And I would say to those, if it was a guy or a girl, I would say to them, listen, you messed up in the past. We've all met. We've all done something. We've all guilty of some sin. Here's what you need to do. You need to ask God to forgive you and cleanse you and wipe, wipe and wash those sin, that sin away and make a commitment that from this moment forward, you're going to be, with the help of God, moral, morally and sexually pure. And let this be for you a new beginning. Some, somebody needs to hear that today. I can assure you in this service today and those listening at home, there's some who are thinking, too late for me, I've already blown it. Friend, let me tell you this, as long as God is on his throne, as long as Jesus Christ is still in the business of saving souls and forgiving sins, it is never too late for you if you'll confess that sin, repent of that sin, and receive the blood of Jesus. It's not too late. It's not too late. And so the whole message of the God, you remember in in John chapter 8? Here's a lady that was caught in the act of adultery. This is an interesting story. The religious leaders who hated Jesus, by the way, because they, they noticed in him somebody who was gracious and forgiving and all about a second chance and mercy, and, but they brought to Jesus a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. 
It's always been interesting to me. Where, why didn't they bring the man? Maybe he was one of their friends, right? They didn't want to get him in trouble, so they brought the woman. And here she is. And they said to Jesus, Jesus, the law says, we would say the Old Testament says, that if somebody does, commits the act of adultery, they ought to be stoned. Jesus said, that is what it says. And he, began, he got down on his knees. He began to write in the sand. We don't know what he wrote. Maybe he wrote the Ten Commandments. Maybe he wrote the names of some of the women these men had been with that they never should have been with. We don't know what he wrote. But he wrote something that convicted them. Because when he got finished writing it, he stood up and he said, in essence, you're right. The Old Testament says if somebody commits adultery, they ought to be stoned. Here's the deal. Whichever one of you has never sinned, you throw the first stone. You see, maybe they hadn't committed that sin. Maybe they hadn't committed the sin of adultery. And as a result of that, they thought they were better than this lady because she had committed that sin. Jesus said, you may not have committed that sin, but you've committed sin. And, but if you think you're perfect, throw the first stone. They had to drop their stones and they walked off. The point is, Jesus forgave that lady. And then he said to her, go and sin no more. And that is the word from God today. Whatever sins that any of us have committed in the past, that if we will repent, God will forgive those sins. Some of you who study church history will be familiar with a man named Augustine. Augustine, before he got saved, was a reprobate. He was a wild guy, immoral, involved in all kinds of things, went into prostitutes. I mean, he just was involved in all kinds of sexual immorality. His mother never stopped praying for him. Finally, Augustine got saved, and his life was changed. God began to change his desires and his impulses and his wants, and he, he just was a new person. And, and yet, he, he still had that guilt and shame for those sins he had committed before he got saved. One day, he was walking down one of the streets in the town where he lived, one of the sidewalks, and, and there was, he could see out of the corner of his eye across the street was this other lady who was a prostitute. And he was a, she was a lady that they had spent time together before he got saved. And he saw her and he was embarrassed. He thought, oh man, that brings back all those memories, those things I'm now ashamed of. And, and she saw Augustine and, and she was reminded of how much fun they had and, 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 you know, all that. And so she tried to get his attention. She said, Augustine, Augustine. He said, don't look, don't look, just keep walking. Don't look, don't look. Oh, she got loud. He was embarrassed. I mean, she's, she's calling out, Augustine, Augustine. And finally at the top of her lungs, she said, Augustine, it is I. And he stopped and he looked at her and he said, I know that it is you, but it is no longer I. What was Augustine saying? He said, I know who you are. I know what happened in the past, but God has changed me and God has done a new work and I'm not the same person anymore. And so today that should be true uh, for all of us. We should feel like, you know, God has changed us and God has given us a new beginning in our lives. Now, the question is, how can we pursue purity from this moment forward? Whether you say today, John, I've never committed adultery. Well, praise God. For, that's great. You say, I've never committed any sexual immorality. Hallelujah. Or you say, no, I have done those things. Well, if you have, be forgiven. If you haven't, be on guard. We may not have done that, but we've certainly done other sins, proving that we have the capability of sinning. But going forward, how can we pursue purity in our lives? I want to mention three things today. Number one, watch what you watch. We live in a day with hundreds or even thousands of cable television stations, many of them showing things that we have no business watching. And so we have to watch what we watch. The internet makes pornography, and it just makes all these, these, these sexual sins so accessible. 
and so easy for people to get involved in. And so we have to watch what we watch. Through the years, I've read about religious leaders, Christian leaders, who travel to preach or to do something. And I remember reading years ago about one of Billy Graham's associates, the one who led worship all those years, Cliff Barrows. When he would go into a hotel, he would take a towel and put it over the television and, and the whole time he was there, he said, I don't even want to turn the TV on and in any way be tempted to watch something that I shouldn't watch. What was he saying? He was saying, I could be tempted. I might be tempted. I'm going to cover the TV up. Now, I'm not suggesting that if you travel that you should go in the room and turn, you know, put a towel over the TV. I'm not suggesting that, but I am saying this. If that's going to be a strong temptation for you, it might not be a bad idea. And so we have to watch what we watch. And then we have to guard our hearts in Proverbs chapter 4. In fact, let's go back. I want you to see this verse back in Proverbs chapter number 4. And in verse number 23, this is one of the classic verses in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Let me let you find it because I want you to see this verse. And I'm reading in the New King James. It says, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. Some translations say, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. If your heart's not right, you're not right. If my heart's not right, I'm not right. So we have to guard our hearts. And the first thing we have to guard is our eyes. Because if our eyes are focusing on stuff, seeing things that we shouldn't see, that can get in our hearts and now we're desiring things that we shouldn't desire. That's what happened to David. He looked out the window of his house, and he sees this beautiful lady taking a bath. If you've been to Jerusalem, you know that the city of David, old Jerusalem, was built on a mountain, on a hill. That we call a hill, really a mountain. And so the houses were built on top of each other. So if you're at the top of the mountain, you can look down at the other people's houses. Well, her bathtub was on the roof of her house. And so he goes out on the patio and he looks down and the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he saw her and he saw that she was beautiful. See, the sin began in his, in his eyes. He saw something he shouldn't have seen. And then we read he wanted her. He started thinking about her. He started desiring her. And then we read that he sent his aides, he was the king, to call for her and brought him up. When you read that story, you kind of feel sorry for Bathsheba because you're left to wonder, did she even have any real say in the matter? I mean, he's the king. He's summoning her. And yet, that's exactly what happened. And so she came to his uh, room, his, his house up there, and they committed adultery together. And, but it started with his eyes and then in his heart. And then he calls for her and the deed is done and the sin is committed. And so this is why it says, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. And then the next thing I would say, be careful where you go. Watch, your, watch what you watch, guard your heart, and be careful where you go. In other words, Sexual sin is something that you make a decision to do it, and then with your feet, you move in that direction. Now, look in chapter 5 of Proverbs. I want you to notice something. In my Bible, at the top of chapter 5, the heading says, the peril of adultery. Go to chapter number 6 and look beginning in verse number 20. The heading in my Bible says, beware of adultery. Look in verse number 27. Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? 
So is he who goes in to his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her shall not be innocent. Verse 32, whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. And so, and then look in verse number seven, beginning in verse number six, we read about the adulterous woman here. And we read about a, a young man who, who knew where this adulterous woman lived. He had seen her. She was attractive. He began to desire her with his heart, and he ends up committing this act. So I'm saying to you, we have to be careful where we go. We hope that today's message has been a blessing to you. You can find this message, along with many others, under the broadcast tab on our website, www.peacebybelieving.org. Again, that's peacebybelieving.org. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to you being with us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond as he continues his message, Pursuing Purity.